Remain standing for the scripture reading for today's uh, sermon from Hebrews 6, 13 through 6, 20. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this word, for its truth that we can stand on, its the rock, and all other is sinking sand. We thank you for this church and for these members, for um, your work through the Holy Spirit in our lives. And as we listen to your word today, we give thanks for its truth, its unchanging rock in our lives and in our future and in our eternity. Be with Andrew as he brings this word and the truth that is within it. Give him inspiration and may our hearts and ears be open to hear what he has to say. In Jesus' name, amen. He did. All right, here we go. We're still in Hebrews. Uh, this is this incredible sermon that we're talking about, uh, this sermon that was preached to a group of bedraggled, beaten down, uh, wondering if they could make it Christians, some people who were tempted to kind of let go of the rope and uh, fade back into things that were more solid, like Judaism with its sacrifices and all of these different things. And, and this preacher, we don't know exactly who it was, he, he comes to them and he says, hang on. You know, even though you can't see everything, Christ is more solid than anything that the world has to offer. Uh, the gospel that comes in and through Jesus Christ is the most real thing that you have in your life. And what he is saying to them is true for us today. And one of the things I think that he's trying to do, and I was thinking about this uh, earlier this week just through some reading that I was doing you know, oftentimes, and sometimes I even wonder it, you know, I make an outline for us, and I, I know they're not super detailed, there's no fill in the blanks or anything like that, but, uh, you know, some of what we want to do is we want to find a way to understand these scriptures that we come against, sometimes they're very dense, they're crossing a lot of cultural distance, all of those different things, um, but what I want to make sure that we're not doing is we're not trying to bring God and the Scriptures down to us 
so that it becomes manageable and we can have all the answers and completely master it. No, we're, we're actually trying to make a path up where, where we're drawn into the heavenlies and, and we meet God. And there are going to be some things that we don't understand. There are going to be some things that we wrestle with and we struggle with. But, but we understand that that's the order of things because God is God and, and we're not. I mean, if it were the other way around, then, then we would be God. We would be above these things that we're trying to understand. So... It, we, we always want to make sure that we have the right sort of direction, and that's very much what this preacher is doing here. He's trying to, to take this group of Christians who are dealing with all kinds of very real world, uh, very real world life uh, things, things similar to some of the things that we deal with, discouragement, uh, depression, uh, the question, like, should I really go to church? Is that valuable for me? Uh, dealing with choices that could lose you your job or your friends or your family. Like, all of these things, many of which we face today. And he's trying to say, don't look at your circumstances solely. But lift your eyes up and see Jesus you know, he's the one, and you keep focused on him, and here he says, he will be a sure and a steadfast hope. This is in begin uh, in, in verse 18. If you flee to him, you'll have a strong encouragement to hold fast the hope before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. That's kind of the proposition for this section. Like, this is the main point that he wants us to understand, and then he's going to buttress it. He's going to say, here are the reasons why Jesus is the anchor. Here are the reasons why you can trust him, you can like throw your complete self on him because God routinely does the impossible, God's character is impeccable, and when it comes to shedding of blood, God is willing to shed his own for our sake. So those, those three things are the, the pathway, this is the, the way that he wants to point us to say, you can trust Jesus even in the midst of all of the difficulty of your life. He is your anchor. So let's look at each three of those, each three, what is that? Uh, uh, it's so weird what comes out of your mouth sometimes. Uh, let's look at each of these uh, in order. So, God routinely does the impossible. Part of the way that we see this in this passage, you may recognize that is true, uh, but the way that the preacher wants us to see that is by calling back to the story of Abraham. So, one of the things that, that this preacher is doing is he's saying, look at your history. Uh, those of you who don't enjoy history, um, you know what they say, if we, if we don't pay attention to it, we're doomed to repeat its mistakes. Uh, and part of what this 
preacher is saying is remember your history lessons. Remember how God has worked in the lives of the patriarchs, in the lives of those who have gone before you that have walked by faith who God called into relationship with Him. And he starts with Abraham. For the Jewish people, people who have that kind of background, Abraham is the sort of patriarch of all patriarchs. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham was the one in Genesis 11 and on into the next few chapters was called out of Ur of Chaldees. He was given these promises that God would lead him into a land and he would give him a land. He would make his name great and he would give him an inheritance. This is the threefold promise that God gave to Abraham. And then it, it keeps getting worked out. It keeps getting tested. Uh, it keeps getting affirmed in the, the next several chapters. Uh, chapter 15, uh, God comes back to Abraham and he says, I'm going to make your descendants as many as the stars in the sky. Makes an oath to him there. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. Uh, in Genesis 22, he tests Abraham's faith. This is uh, Abraham and taking Isaac up onto Mount Moriah, sometimes called the binding of Isaac. And uh, God asks him to sacrifice his son. Abraham is faithful to go do it. Then God stops his hand. He reminds him that he swore an oath to him, probably referring back to chapter 15. And, and the promises uh, are yes and amen to Abraham. And, and part of what the preacher wants us to recognize is that while we can see these promises taking fruition in the moment, there was nothing that Abraham could look at that was a surety that these promises would ever take place. Uh, he called him out of Ur of the Chaldees and led him into what we call the promised land. But if you've been there, uh, or if you've seen pictures, you realize like when it's talking about flowing with milk and honey, it's not the lush green grasses that we think about, some of the fields, the rich soils. Uh, all of that was true, but it, it was very wilderness-like. And when Abraham was there, he was living in a tent, he was sojourning, there, he didn't own any property except for this cave of Machpelia, which he bought later to bury some bones. I mean, that's all that he ever had, and, and he kept sojourning. In terms of uh, his descendants, he was barren for so many years. Uh, he was 100 years old. Sarah was 90 years old, and they, they still didn't have any, any children. And, and God kept coming to him and saying, you know, you're, I'm going to give you an inheritance. Your, your children are going to be like the stars in the sky. And Abraham was like, what? I don't, I don't understand that. But out of all of this has come a greater and better than we ever could have imagined. Not only did Abraham gain a land, did the people uh, of promise gain a land, not only have they gained a name and a reputation that has uh, lingered on into this day, not only has uh, Abraham received a number of his own descendants, uh, people of the Jewish nation who has come into the kingdom, but through Christ has maintained and gained an entire uh, 
cosmos of people who are following after Jesus, these, these promises that seemed impossible uh, have been fulfilled. And, and this is part of what this preacher is coming back and he's saying, you know your history. You, you know that what Abraham deemed impossible in fact, he'll, he'll say in, in chapter 11 of, of Hebrews, he talks about this faith, the faith of Abraham and, and Sarah. He says, therefore, from one man and him as good as dead. He's 100 years old. The, the, the idea that he's going to have children at this point when he has none, him as good as dead. But yet God is faithful to do the impossible What's impossible for us is possible with God. We need to remember this too. Because like that congregation, we routinely face discouragement and despair. I know that you do. I know that I do. We, we face it in little things, when things go wrong with our cars, when things go wrong with our homes. You know, we, we are just like, God, really, is there any way that we can handle it? And we know that they're little in the grand scheme of things, uh, but it feels impossible. It feels like it's just going to crush us in the moment. And, and God says, no, I, I can handle this. Uh, what about the bigger things? I'm looking at various people at different stages of life. You know, one of the things that we often think about is, is the future, and, and we start to get a little overwhelmed by it. You know, as, as younger people, we think about, you know, is there going to be a path for me? Uh, is there going to be a path for me vocationally? Am I going to be able to find what it is that uh, is going to bring joy to me, satisfaction that is going to bless the world around me? Is there that path? You know, what's, what's my relational situation? Is, is God going to call me to singleness? And if he does, is he going to take care of me during that time? You know, is, is there somebody for me to marry? Uh, is that, that seems impossible right now. I just don't see it coming. You know, we think about all of these things, and God says, I know you. Not a hair is going to fall from your head without me knowing. But we keep having these sort of future-oriented, I mean, if you're in my life, you know, you think about your kids, you think about uh, some of the things going on, you're like, God, are you going to take care of them? They're, they're not in my control anymore. How, how is this going to happen? You know, you get even a few steps further and you start to think about the impending crossing the river. You're like, I, you know, I'm, I'm not afraid to die and go to heaven, but that getting old stuff, that's hard. You know, God, are you going to be with me? Are you going to help me as I go? I mean, are there going to be people there to take care of me? It doesn't seem very probable or very possible. But part of what this preacher is saying is remember your history. God, God has no problem with things that seem impossible to us. It, it, it is it is possible, and, and God knows, and He is continuing to watch over you, and His promises are that not a hair will fall from your head. Sometimes we even go, you know, more existential, and we say, is it possible for me 
a person who has been marked by sin. You know, maybe it's sin that was done against you. you know, we live in a world where all sorts of horrible things happen to us. We are stained by other people's sin. And, and sometimes we feel that so deeply, whether it's shame, uh, you know, contempt for ourselves, contempt for others, and we say, is there any way, God, that I could ever be acceptable in your sight? Or maybe it's your own choices. You know, maybe you have done things that you feel like it is impossible for God to love me. It's impossible for God to receive me, to accept me, to... But we come to the Scriptures and He says, there, there's now, therefore, no condemnation. No condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. How is that possible? Can that really be true? The old has gone. The new has come. We are new creations. That's the gospel. It sounds impossible to us. But God says, I, I have ways that are deeper than your ways. And we can trust God. Because the second thing that we observe this morning is that his character is impeccable. God routinely does the impossible, and his character is impeccable. Uh, notice how the text talks about the, the character of God. God wanted to assure himself to Abraham that he would do these things. Uh, he swore an oath, and he swore it by himself, verse 13. Uh, why? For people um, swear by something greater themselves and all of their disputes and oath is for final confirmation. When God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast the hope set before us. Here, here, is, here are the two things. One, God made an oath. And, and secondly, God made the oath. Why did he make the oath? Because he is willing to accommodate himself to us. You know, it wasn't necessary for God in and of himself to make this oath, to say, I, I promise. Uh, God's word, his yes is yes, his no is no, it, it's, it's firm. But he recognizes that this is not our normal experience and, and we come uh, with doubt. And so he makes an oath to accommodate himself to us, but he couldn't swear. You know, when we go to court, you swear on a Bible, uh, you know, I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. God had nothing to swear on that was greater than him. So he, he swore by himself, and it's impossible for him to lie. Uh, Paul in 2 Timothy, I know that some of you have been with me in Sunday school and we're studying 2 Timothy. Uh, he says in chapter 2, verse 13, he says, though we remain faithless, God is faithful. He cannot deny himself. He cannot deny himself. He cannot lie. God's character is impeccable. What he says is true. 
And if he says there's no condemnation, then there's no condemnation. If he says not a hair will fall from your head that he doesn't know, then no hair will fall from your head that he doesn't know. If he says his care for you is like the birds of the field, then that is the way it is, and we can take it to the bank. You can stake your life on it. It's the anchor for your soul that we can trust in every stage of our life, older, younger, middle age, wherever you are, single, married, divorced, uh, whether you are facing a vocational situation, whether you are facing a relational situation, whatever it is, you have a sure and steady, steadfast anchor for the soul because God cannot lie. It's so hard for us. Uh, and we was reading this week just about the way cool changes. You know, what is cool? Cool is elusive, just like trends. What or who is deemed cool? It's always changing. Take, for example, the panic debate that has existed over denim pants over the years. The once popular millennial skinny gene has died to the Gen Z mom gene that then surrendered to the dad straight leg and vintage wide leg gene. I don't know where your gene choice is, uh, but it changes frequently. Common slang like YOLO or lit uh, became, and you're going to have to help me with some of this stuff, uh, became full send, simp, and riz. Uh, what was once cool a year ago, I mean even a month ago, is now deemed overused, dated, and embarrassing. As long as you are attempting to operate under the sign of cool, you can't build anything lasting or broad-based because the moment you do, uh, it stops being cool and it's glamour migrates somebody else, somewhere else. What, what's the point? God is not cool. You know, in the way that we think about cool, and hallelujah that he's not, because what's cool today is going to change. But God is solid. He is steadfast. He is sure. And he does not change. He cannot tell a lie. He cannot deny himself. You can take it to the bank. You can trust your all on who God is. See, we don't want to bring God down to us. We want to lift our eyes up. We, we, he wants us to get above our circumstances and to see him and, and to recognize that he's different than us and that we can trust him. He proves it to us. He takes this oath, you remember, and we just talked about it. But this oath leads to the greatest demonstration of why we can trust God. Why can we trust God? Well, we can trust God because we can understand His character, or at least acknowledge that His character is such that He cannot lie. We can trust God because we've seen way, things that He's done in the past with people like Abraham. But ultimately, we can trust God because He is willing to shed His own blood in demonstration of His trustworthiness. He is willing to, to give Himself in order to secure something that we could never obtain in and of ourselves. Uh, 
you got to go back to Genesis 15. Genesis 15, by the way, is one of those passages uh, that is so foundational for understanding the gospel. I know for some people that's hard to understand because we talk about the gospel as sort of New Testament-y. Uh, now you're going back to Genesis 15, and we're going to talk about dead animals. Uh, because in Genesis 15, God is, is making these promises to Abraham. And in making these promises to Abraham, he says, I, I am going to swear by myself that these things will come to pass, that the stars in the sky are going to be representative of your offspring. And he says, we're going to make a covenant. Actually, the word in Hebrew is we're going to cut a covenant. Uh, and, and the reason why they, they call it cutting a covenant is they, they take these animals and they cut them in half uh, and they spread them out. And then if we're in covenant together, uh, we, we, we come and we walk through the covenant or we walk through the animals, and we make what is called a self-maledictory oath. May it be so to me uh, if I fail to keep the terms of this covenant. And we refer to the dead animals, so we're saying, if, if I don't keep my end, you can cut me, and I'll bleed. And, and that's right. That's the way it's supposed to go. So when God comes to make this covenant to Abraham, he tells Abraham to prepare for it, and he goes out and he gets all of these different animals, and, and he cuts them and he makes the two paths. But then God puts Abraham to sleep, and he gives him a vision. And in this vision, uh, Abraham sees the animals and the pathway between, but walking through is not Abraham and God, but God himself, in the form of, of a, smoking, uh, a smoking brand and, and, a, and, a fire, and a fire pot, God walks through by himself. By himself. That, that's the gospel right there. Because the recognition was that the, the fulfillment of the promises is wholly dependent on God taking, keeping His Word. We, we are faithless. He is faithful. If it were dependent on us, we would have to pay. We would have to pay because we, we can't keep our end of the bargain. We sin, we fall short, we are weak, we are frail. And, and if we had been forced to walk through that, that pathway of animals, the judgment would have fallen on us. But when God says, I am going to keep it, and I alone, on behalf of you, Abraham, am going to walk through this, what I am saying is that your failure to keep the covenant means that the axe is going to fall on me. It means that there will be bloodshed, just like these animals, but the blood that will be shed is mine. And this is exactly what happened on Calvary. When Jesus went to that cross, it was in fulfillment of that self-maledictory oath that God took with Abraham all those years ago. He looked out and he said, none of you have kept your end of the bargain, but 
The nature of this bargain is when you don't keep it, I take the punishment. I take the blame. It's my blood that is shed. And when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The answer is because I said I would. I said that, that we would take the blame. And that is why we have life. And that is why you can trust him because God doesn't play fair. Hallelujah. God does not play fair because fair is condemnation for us. But God says, I'm going to walk through those animals by myself. And the axe is going to fall on me. It's my blood that is going to be shed. And that's why in this passage, you know, we see Jesus who has uh, gone into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone forever, a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, I'm going to leave all the Melchizedek stuff for um, Michael next week uh, because I can. I choose who's preaching on what. But uh, uh, no, it's good. The, the Melchizedek stuff is great. But, but notice here, we're still in this priest section. Uh, and in this priest section, you know that to go into the Holy of Holies, what did the priest need to take? Blood. He needed to take blood, and he needed to sprinkle that blood onto the mercy seat. And, and when God saw the blood on the mercy seat, there was the atoning sacrifice that was needed, and he would uh, look upon his people with mercy and with favor. When Jesus walked through the covenantal animals, when Jesus shed his blood on the cross, it was that blood that he took into the Holy of Holies. It was that blood that he took close to the heart of God, to the mercy seat. It is that blood that makes all of his promises yes and amen. And so he's telling us, this preacher is telling his congregation, and, and through the years he's telling us, he's saying, you have a, a sure and steadfast anchor for your soul, and it's right there at the mercy seat. It's right there close to the heart of God because Jesus has gone as our forerunner into there, and he hasn't closed it, but he's left it open. You remember when Jesus died on the cross, one of the signs was that the temple veil was split in two from the top to the bottom. Why? Because heaven opened a pathway that we could now come. That anchor is there. The rope that comes from that anchor comes right into our hands and we can grab hold of it and we can continue to go rung after rung to the mercy seat of God because Jesus has done it. And he says, don't let go of that. This is your anchor in all of the difficulties of your life. All of those uncertainties, all of those impossibilities that you think uh, you know, can never come right in your life, God is there. He's the sure and steadfast anchor because Jesus has given himself. Sometimes we feel like there are so many strongholds in our life. Things that, that, that we'll never get over, we'll never get broken, that we can't get through. 
what this preacher wants to say to his congregation and to us is there is no stronghold, there's no impossibility that can withstand God's grace. And there's no place as secure as standing in the finished work of Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the way it comes and and encourages us. Lord, what an encouragement it is. We feel the the tiredness of this congregation. We feel that, um, that dragging down. We pray that you would lift us up. We pray that you would uh, lift our eyes above the horizon, as it were. Help us to see Jesus and his finished work behind the curtain. Lord, we pray that you would give us the patience of Abraham, who, though he didn't receive it in his lifetime, still uh, trusted and saw it come to fruition. Lord, give us that same patience. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.